Hey, you guys can be seated as you're sitting down. If you grab your cell phones, uh, I need you to grab your cell phones for a minute. Turn your ringer off. Um, that's not the reason for grabbing your cell phones, all right? Uh, we've got an important week coming up February 11th through the 18th, and we want to give you the easiest way for you to get the information about that week coming up. It's Move Week. It's February 11th through the 18th. It is Sunday to Sunday, and except for on the Saturday the 17th, we have something planned every evening um, that is related to how do you begin to make certain moves spiritually. Is it making a move and how to share your faith? Is it how to spend time with the Lord? Is it how to share the resources that God has given you? Is it how to spend time with Him? Is it worship and prayer with other believers? That week is just a full week. We know that not everybody can attend everything that we have planned that week. Um, It's just probably not possible for many of us to be able to do that. But we do want you to be able to and and look and select and say, man, this is what I want to be a part of. Let me just say this. You don't have to register, but it would be helpful for you to register so that we don't put 200 people in a room for 30 or the flip of that. We don't try to put 30 in a room for 200. Um, So we, we just need you to give us some feedback You can share this information with anybody. Um, You can get some handout cards to to promote this, to place them in your business, whatever you want to do with that for the Move Week. We've got a couple other churches joining us on Sunday evening, I know for sure, um, for that seminar, that opportunity to move. So if you would, you can do this while we're uh, going on this morning. You can text the word MOVE18, MOVE18, one word, no spaces, MOVE18, doesn't matter matter if it's capitalized or lowercase, however you want to do it, move 18 to the number 51555. And that is going to send you a registration form, but also information videos about every part of the week that we have planned um, for February 11th through 18th. Now, what I want you to do is register, do that part, the uh, move 18 51555, and then put your phones back away and check it out after church, okay? Um, you, I mean, some of you might just sit there and just ignore me the whole time um, and that may happen, all right? So it's the danger of getting you to pull your phone out and look at that, but it'll send you a registration form. Um, you can look at that. You can forward that on to somebody else. Would love for the more people you to share that with. The other thing that you can still be a part of and sign up for uh, are in our groups. Um, one particular way that you can do that, we have a group of men here called Every Man a Warrior. And uh, last Saturday, I had the opportunity to come here for a graduation for many of these men. About 20 of these guys were on the stage here on the Saturday before last, and just to hear, I had to leave early, but to hear during the week and during this week some of their testimonies and some of how work God working in them through learning God's Word, through memorizing God's Word, through accountability, how their marriage is changing, how their parenting is changing, uh, just how God is using those skills and abilities um, that they have to, to change their lives and to change their family. And so um, I could have all 20 of them line up here and speak to you this morning um, and share those things with you this morning. But if you would like to talk with them, they're out in the lobby this morning. And let me just say this, in our group signups, I think the women are whooping the men, all right, and signing up for, for groups. So men, it's your turn this morning to, to talk with them after the service. Um, they would love the opportunity to meet with you this morning. Let me pray again as we jump into the Word. God, uh, these are two big things that we have coming up among others. We've got groups for women, groups for couples. Uh, we've got Every Man a Warrior. Uh, God, we've also got other opportunities, God, for us to draw close to each other, therefore draw close to you. Um, but God, we also have an opportunity for a week of spiritual emphasis as a church where we look at some areas that we may be lacking in, areas where we have 
failed in, uh, areas where we need encouragement in, and we're going to have some opportunities, God, that you've brought to our attention. So God, use that week ahead of time. Uh, just, just prepare our hearts ahead of time for that week uh, for you to be honored and you to be glorified through those things that week. God, be with us again as we step into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I don't know if you've ever gone to a basketball game that you bought tickets for. Let's pretend you bought tickets for your favorite team, okay? Um, don't worry about color of shirt. It was picked out before games, okay? Um, and you're going to go to your favorite team and watch them play in a game. And by halftime, your team is losing by 20. I mean, you're getting whooped. And at halftime, you're sitting there with your friends and you're talking. You're going, what, should we leave or should we go? you got three options. Do we bail? We go, man, this is just, I got better things I could do on a Saturday afternoon. Or do you stay to see how bad it's going to get and how much you can sideline coach, right? How many things you could correct from the stands for what's going on down the floor. Or you can stay and in your mind, believe in your heart that something is going to happen. That something miraculous is going to come. There's going to be the comeback and your friends are going to leave and you're going to stay and they're going to call you later on and go, don't you wish we had stayed? And you go, oh, I did stay. I saw the comeback. This morning, we're going to see a story that if you, if we stop mid story, you're going to miss the comeback. You're going to miss the moment that God does something incredible in the life of someone in scripture. And this guy is down by 20. At times, he's down by 40. It appears that nothing is going this gentleman's way. His name is Joseph. Joseph is one of 12 young men in one family, one of 12 sons. His father is a guy by the name of Jacob. Um, Jacob also is going to be called Israel in our passage of Scripture this morning. So those are, those are parallel there. Jacob and Israel are going to be used side by side in our Scripture this morning. Jacob is one of 12. And we're going to see this morning that there is a but God moment, as we saw last week, where the story takes a dramatic turn. And in this story, I'd like to say there's several of them. There's several of these moments that we go, wow, this story is moving in a way that I didn't see that coming. Nor did he. Because I promise you, there's some moments when we read this story that Joseph probably looked up from where he was and went, I'm just going to give up. Should I just throw in the towel? Should I just see how bad this is going to get? Or am I going to trust in God? Am I going to trust in God? So Joseph is in our story. Son, he's one of 12. Genesis chapter 37. We're going to start in Genesis 37. We're going to go to Genesis 50 this morning, all right? Which means we're going to turn some pages rather quickly. But you've got to hear the whole story. All right, it's going to take us a while, so hang in there with me. We've got to go through the full journey. So here's what Scripture says, chapter 37, verse 2 and 4, 3 through 4. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, don't forget that, 17, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. So he's hanging out with his brothers. Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made a robe from, uh, of many colors for him. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. 
How many of you in the room, guys in the room, have an older or younger brother? Raise your hand. Raise them proud. Raise them up. Raise them up. All right? Does this story not have the makings of a catastrophe? I mean, from the onset, you don't have to read anything else, and you know this probably is not going to turn out. Why? Because first of all, he's a tattletale. He runs back to daddy. He's working in the fields. He comes back. He says, hey, dad, the, the, the kids from your other wives, all right, Old Testament, all right, your other wives, their kids, bad kids, not doing the right thing on the fields. Oh, and by the way, dad says, don't worry, son, you're my favorite. You're such my favorite that I'm going to make you a very pretty robe and you can wear it around the farm and you can wear it out in the pastures and you can kind of boast and say, hey, guys, look at me. That's not going to work. I've got one older brother that would not come off well in that house. For me to walk in to acclaim out loud, daddy said I'm his favorite. Just not good makings here. And this family already, we won't go backwards, had a story of bad blood between brothers. So the story continues in verse 10 of chapter 37. But when he told his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Now, I I didn't cover all of this, but the story, he's already got one strike against him. He tattletales. He's got two strikes against him. He's the favorite with a coat. The third strike is he has two dreams that God gives him and he goes before his brothers. And here's what the dreams tell him. You 11 guys are going to bow down before me. If I imagine him, just call my brother, he's a pastor, and said, hey, bro, man, did you have a good Sunday? Yeah, I had a good Sunday. Hey, I just want you to know I had a dream, and uh, Friday afternoon, you're going to come to my office and bow down before me. Hello? Right? Hello? What, what, what are you talking about? And so he has the two dreams, and he conveys the two dreams to his brother and to his father. That's what's taking place in verse 10. What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, and his father kept this saying in mind. So his brothers do what loving brothers do. They devise a plan, and option one is to kill him. We're going to kill him. We just cannot stand this guy anymore. He's going to come out to the field. We're going to get rid of him. Older brother speaks some wisdom into him and says, guys, let's don't kill him. Let's come up with another option. Older brother leaves for a minute. Rest of the brothers throw younger brother into a pit. Sit down and have lunch. I'm not kidding. Go and read it. They sit down. They throw him in a pit. The pit of those days would have had a narrow entrance and a a larger uh, inside of that cave or inside of that pit. So here's Joseph, 17-year-old boy. He's got his coat on, right? Daddy's boy down in the bottom, and they're sitting around going, what do we do now? So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, They took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. So their plan then becomes, as they're sitting there waiting to figure it all out, a group of Ishmaelite and Midianite traders approach the brothers, wanting to trade something, wanting to buy something. They said, we've got something for you. He's down there. They sell their brother to the Ishmaelite traders. They come up with a plan to kill a goat, take the coat, rip up the coat somewhat, take the blood of the goat, put it on the coat. That's a lot of coat and goat. And take the coat back to their daddy and say, hey, dad, the animals got him. Joseph's gone. 
And all the while, we can sell him into slavery and he'll disappear and we will never have to hear him or watch him walk around the pasture again. All right. This is what they do. He's gone. Scripture tells us, though, in chapter 42, we're not going to read this this morning, but that in 42, when they bring him out of the pit, Scripture says that he was distressed. (laughs) He's 17. And he is now on his way He just got sold to traffickers into slavery, into who knows what. And he came from the coat of many colors, daddy's boy. He's the favorite hanging out. And now he's got nothing. Now, our sons are senior and junior uh, in high school. And we're starting to think about college for them. Uh, William is 17. um, And that's awesome. We've been thinking and talking about college some and making some of those plans and thinking about that. But we've got time to think about this, right? Can you imagine just saying to a 17-year-old, hey, oh, by the way, I'm just selling you off and you're with, yeah, I'm just selling you off. I don't know where you're going to end up. Scripture says he was distressed. He was pained in his spirit. So the story continues. Joseph is taken by the Ishmaelites who had bought him, and now they're going to sell him into the ownership of Potiphar. Potiphar is an important gentleman. He is in the royal court of Pharaoh. Pharaoh is very important. He is the leader of Egypt. Egypt is very significant. It is the empire of the day. All the money, all the wealth, they've got it. And so just a few rungs below that, there's a guy by the name of Potiphar. Scripture tells us in chapter 39, it says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. So 17... Things are going bad. He makes this journey. They purchase him, place him into service to, uh, to his owner, to Potiphar. He begins to be successful through the Lord's eyes, begins to raise in the ranks. But also something else was about to take place. Scripture tells us that Joseph, in chapter verse 6 of 39, it says Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Bad thing in this moment. Because Potiphar's wife decides that she desires Joseph. Joseph resists her seduction. He pushes back against it. But there's one moment in the story, in chapter 39, where Joseph flees from Potiphar's wife. She grabs his cloak. She keeps the cloak. He leaves. She screams. She says, this is what happened. She falsely accuses him. He goes to prison. He goes to prison, and here he is. Just think about this. I was in the pit. (laughs) Things were getting better. Comeback was happening. Now I'm in prison. He finds himself in prison. He's down by 20, right? He's in jail. He's far from home, falsely accused. He becomes a leader which sounds unreal to us, he becomes a leader in prison. People begin to look up to him. He also becomes a dream interpreter. After all, this is what got him there in the first place, right? So he's got his skill now, he's in prison, and two guys come and say, listen, we've had dreams. He interprets both of those dreams. It ends up really well for one guy and not for the other. 
One guy is the cupbearer to the king. He gets out of prison. He stands before Pharaoh. He forgets to mention Joseph. Scripture says this in chapter 40, verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Here he is again, simply being faithful, simply trusting in the Lord. I'll interpret the dream. Hey, when you get there, would you tell the Pharaoh I interpret your dream? Pharaoh later has a dream. He has a dream, and nobody of his wise men can interpret it. So he starts asking around. Lo and behold, guess who they pull out of prison to interpret the dream? You want to say it for me? Joseph. So Joseph gets pulled out of prison, goes before Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, and says, I'll interpret your dream. And here's what your dream is, means. There's going to be seven years ahead for the, the people of Egypt. That's going to be a land of plenty. Everything's going to grow. Everything's going to be plush. Then there's going to be seven years of famine. So you better get ready now for seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. This is what's coming your way, Pharaoh. So listen to what Pharaoh does in chapter 41, verse 38. Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you. It's looking up, isn't it? Language is sounding good. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand. He put it in Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. He made him ride in his second chariot. I mean, this guy is there, right? It's like limo service. Please understand this. He's got his limo behind Pharaoh's limo. And, he's, and they called out before him. They're calling out to this former slave, former prisoner. They're saying, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. He's 30 years old now. 13 years removed from the pit. 13 years removed from this time of hardship and slavery and allegation and prison hopping and dream interpreting, he's risen to this place of leadership. The leader of Egypt says, everything is under your control. So he begins to prepare the country of Egypt for the seven years of famine by taking the seven years of plenty and bringing everything they can into their storehouses. Egypt is going to become the Amazon, all right, of that day. They're going to have what everybody else wants, grain and goods. And guess who is in charge of shipping and receiving? Got it. Joseph. Joseph is in charge of who gets what and how much. And lo and behold, there's some guys from the land of Canaan who have struck a famine, and they come to Egypt looking for help. And guess who they are? His brothers. Yeah. His brothers. Now, Joseph was governor over all the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. Joseph's brothers came 
and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. This sounds like it's getting close to the dream, but at this point, there's only 10 brothers there. Number 11 is back home with dad, Benjamin, the youngest one. They don't want anything to happen to him. Father wouldn't let him come with them. But Joseph knows this. Joseph devises this plan. And here's the plan. You're going to leave one guy here with me while you go back and bring little brother back to me. I'm going to send you some grain. I'm going to send you some help. But you're not going to get him back. He's collateral. They don't recognize that this is Joseph. They're standing in front of him, bowing down before him. And and he says, hey, this is the plan. Go bring little brother back. And we'll consider what's going to take place next. And Joseph's scripture tells us he's hiding his identity up to this point. It also says he's weeping behind the scenes. Here we are in the story. Just a refresher. If Joseph's brothers had not sold him into slavery, he wouldn't have been brought to Egypt. If Potiphar had not purchased him from the slave traders, he would not have become in this position. If he wouldn't have been placed in this position under this Egyptian leader, then he would not have been falsely accused and thrown into prison where he would have met two guys that had a dream, that needed dreams interpreted. They take it to Pharaoh. Later on, he goes before Pharaoh to interpret a dream. Pharaoh says, hey, you can have it all. In other words, God had overseen every detail in the life of Joseph. Even through the evil of his brothers. Don't miss this moment that's building here. He is at this point as he is going to declare in just a moment, not because his brothers had brought him there, but because God had brought him there. When we lose hope and direction and security, we turn to God and we realize God has been there all the time. Joseph knows God has never left him. When he was down by 20, never left him. Down by 40, never left him. So the brothers come back. The human traffickers themselves come and they stand before Joseph. Chapter 45 is powerful. Verse 1, then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, everyone go out. Just get out. Just me and and these guys here. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. He wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. The household of Pharaoh heard it. Can I just tell you? Can I do the math for you? Joseph is 39 years old. Talk about a reason for a midlife crisis, right? 39, 22 years before his brothers that are now right before him asking him for something are there before him. And 22 years ago, they deserted him. They sold him. They shoved him away hoping never to be seen again. And 22 years later, he cannot control it anymore. I want you to hear in this this morning that while we're going to see and while I want you to understand that we're going to believe in the faithfulness of God and in your life and in my life, we can trust God in these moments. That doesn't mean that some moments aren't going to hurt. This is 22 years of pain coming out of this guy. This is 22 years of raw emotion just 
being blurted out. The neighbors could hear it. The neighbors' neighbors could hear it. This guy is broken hearted in this moment. But he's also going to turn this through the power of God. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? What's going on? Tell me. But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Now there are moments when I read scripture that I laugh out loud. This is one. Dismayed is the understatement of 22 years, right? Can you imagine these 11 guys standing before me? He says, I'm him. Okay. What? What do you think he's going to do to us? Kill us? Throw us in a pit? Prison? Slavery? He's got some good options. Dismayed, amazed, taken back. They can't believe what they're seeing. And so Joseph, though, he says to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Do you hear the trust in the character of God that Joseph has in this moment? For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you, verse 8, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Don't think so much of yourself, brothers. You didn't do this. God allowed this. God allowed me to walk through prison and slavery and and accusations that were wrong against me to bring me to this point for him to be glorified, for him to protect you. You didn't do this. God did this. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, to the Lord of all his house and a ruler over all the land of Egypt. Wow. What a journey. I wish I could say it's over. So Joseph gives the command for them to go, bring their dad back, bring their family back. Everybody comes back. Joseph cares for them under this Egyptian rule, says, hey man, take the best lands that you have. Egypt, Pharaoh, just let your family have the best thing, everything they want, it's theirs. But then years later, Jacob, daddy, dies. The dad dies, 12 brothers, their dad passes away. And it brings about another set of emotions. It brings about another moment where we're going to see the character of Joseph that's been tested throughout these years and years and years. We're going to see his character come about. Chapter 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave us this command before he died. 
Can I just put in my parentheses on the Michael Bowers translation? Liars. Okay? This is a lie. Daddy didn't give him this message. This is called protecting yourself. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. The verse concludes, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Now, I've, I've thought about this phrase numerous times this week. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And I think it could be a host of reasons. One, they're liars. One, two, they haven't learned Joseph's character yet. Joseph has been providing for them, caring for them for years now. And here they come up with this new plan as if throwing him in a pit wasn't enough and lying to their dad about him and all those moments was not enough. Now they look at him. Daddy's gone. He's not going to protect us anymore. Joseph's surely going to kill us. Hey, dad gave us one final on his deathbed, one final message. Don't hurt the boys. Protect them. And Joseph weeps. Because they lied to him? I believe so. Because they didn't learn of his character? Yes. But I believe the greater is they still didn't trust God. They still believed that Joseph was in control. And Joseph has tried to remind them in chapter 45 and 46, listen, I didn't, you didn't do this. God sent me. You, didn't, you weren't in, in control. God allowed this to take place through your evil, through your poor decisions. God's using this. Have you not learned to trust the faithfulness of God yet, guys? And so he replies to them. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Dream come true, 17 years old. Joseph said to him, Do not fear, for I am I in the place of God. As for you, You meant evil against me. Here it is. But God meant it for good. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, guys. I will will provide for you. I love this phrase here. I'll provide for you and your little ones. I love on you. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is Joseph's story. What a journey. If you only read through chapter 42, he's down by 20. If you get to chapter 45, things seem to be going better, but it's full of emotion. But what we have to do is do the same that Joseph did. He stuck in there because he trusted in the Lord, because he trusted in who God is, and he was able to speak into the eyes of his brothers what you intended for evil, God has brought about for his good. Joseph is conveying to them, and I believe for me to convey to you this morning, God is in control. God is in control. And as raw emotions that are in this story, and as hard as this journey is, I realize in preparing for today that there are many of you that are on 
a journey. And you've been on a journey and it's, you're down by 20 right now. You've been on a painful journey. You've been on a journey of a toxic marriage that ended in divorce. Maybe it was toxic because of sinful decisions you made. Maybe it was because of the decisions someone else made. Down by 20. Your journeys have pain and they have abuse. They've got broken dreams. They've got financial ruin. They've got medical tragedy and medical difficulty and medical difficulty after medical difficulty. Some of your journeys include the loss of someone very close to you that was dear to you for many years. And some of you, it includes the loss of someone close to you that was only a part of your life for a short time. And so I don't stand before you. Listen to me, church, listen to me. I don't stand before you this morning to make light of your journey and make this sound easy. It's not easy for us to declare what the world meant, what the enemy meant for evil to destroy me, God meant for good. That is a difficult statement, but it is a huge statement of trusting the character of God. But God, as we saw last week, reminds us of the faithfulness of God. And here in this story, we see the faithfulness of God. And in the middle of your tragedy, in the middle of your journey, that maybe now you're on the other side of, or maybe you're in the middle of, I do not want to make light of it this morning, but I also will not apologize for the faithfulness and the sovereignty of God. Because He is in control. And that may make where you are right now a difficult place but God is in control and what someone else what the enemy what Satan is bringing about and is allowing and God is allowing to to you to struggle through God intends to use it for his good immediately your question is going to come pastor when's it going to come that's the question of questions that I get as a pastor. I hear this. I know this. I believe this. When's it going to come? For Joseph, it was 22 years plus. And you're going, well, that's not what I came here to hear. 22 years later, the emotions came out. The faithfulness of God, all the dots and moments connected. The slavery the shackles, the accusation, the rise to prominence, all came about. And Joseph was able to look at his brothers and say, I forgive you guys. Let's move on. But God will use for his good. I just want to remind you today, God has not forgotten you. And I believe some of you right now are down by 20. And if you were honest, you're saying, man, I am throwing in the towel. I've tried this spiritually. I've tried this not spiritually. I've tried this with my spouse. I've tried this on my own. And it's not coming about. You can throw in the towel. Or you can even say, you know what? I'm just going to keep making bad decisions and see how bad this can get. Believe it or not, that comes around. But I want to challenge you this morning. 
that whatever evil has taken place, whatever brokenness is in your past, what the enemy has intended for evil, God will use for his good. Let's pray this morning.